And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. We are going to have one of the most amazing Canadian authors on with us today. And she's not just stunning with her words, she's stunning with her smile too. So I can't wait to introduce you to her. But before we do that, everyone knows we've got a little advert with Marianne Curley's new book called The Shadow, the Time Guardian series. I actually think it sounds pretty cool. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends and the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Latina's death, Giselle swears revenge and vilified the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation? Who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And that being said... I have the distinct honor of welcoming a Canadian author who a lot of my friends has told me you have to get this woman on. So here she is, Lindsay Maple. Thank you so much for having me. And I really hope I didn't butcher your name because I'm no. terrible for that. Sounds <laughs> it. Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's very Canadian. Yeah, I find Canadian names are actually easier. Because this is the whole Scottish accent thing can sometimes get in the way of American names. I don't know I, why. <laughs> no, I, I can understand that. Yeah, I have um, some Scottish ancestry, so we're probably distant cousins. Yeah, we probably are. I have I actually have traced some of my family to Winnipeg, funnily enough. Um, and I'm told that's like a really out in the back, back of beyond kind of place so i'm like oh i'm gonna have to go there sometime and just be like walking around see if i could see any shetlanders kicking about <laughs> yeah yeah winnipeg is very cold i was actually born in uh, manitoba so i don't know if it's some place you'd want to visit for a long time but uh yeah it's right in the middle of canada so you can go anywhere from there oh that's cool uh, yeah, shetlanders love the cold um as long as it's not blowing like 60 mile an hour winds we're generally quite happy but when it starts hitting 80, you know, we, we, we moan and complain. It's, it's, it's a Shetland thing. But we don't have any trees where I grew up. So that's an adjustment. When I come down here and there's trees everywhere, I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, let's uh, let's talk about your new book and or a book that you're excited about. Where I know the listeners here are a global sort of listeners. So we have a lot of Canadians that will be listening in and. We've got a lot of Americans, so this is a really kind of awesome chance for you to reach some new new possible readers. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I have a book coming out in August. It's my debut novel. It's a rom-com. It's very steamy. You know, Good. Like, I like that. So it's uh, called Not Your Basic Love Story. It's being published by Rising Action Publishing Collective. It's an independent press right out of Canada, so really That's cool awesome. to work with Canadians. And uh, my cover artist was a Canadian as well, Ashley Santoro. She did a fabulous job on my cover. And it has, uh, the story is based in Vancouver. The cover has Gastown on it, which was really wonderful. It's a, an important setting in my story. 
And it's about a girl named Becky, who is your basic white girl, which is where we get the title from, how she's having not her basic love story. And she meets the perfect guy who is wonderful. And it's a story of opposites attract and um, immediate lust turning to love over the course of the story. And uh, the only thing that is their challenge is that they come from two different cultures. So she is Caucasian. She has kind of a Judeo-Christian cultural background. And his family came from India a couple generations ago. So he is a Punjabi Sikh Canadian. And it's about finding their middle ground together, what's important to them, how they move forward in their life, being true to themselves, but also making room for one another. And that's, I think, a really important story because it's it's really about breaking down those those barriers and those walls that kind of still exist in this world. And I think that's going to be an amazing story. You've definitely sold me on it, that's for sure. I will be adding it to my TBR pile and my husband will be rolling his eyes thinking, oh, no, not another book. <laughs> but no, like, I love it. And um, I'm an indie publisher too, like a published author, I should say. Um, so I love it when you're actually working with independent publishers because they have such a more, they allow us a little bit more say, I think. And they allow us to kind of be more true to ourselves and to our stories. And I actually started my publishing career in Canada, funnily enough. I was with um, a press that no longer exists, sadly, but I was with XOXO Publishing. And it was, you know, Canadian publisher Canadians that were doing all the covers in fact my cover artist I always go back to is Amanda Strews and that's Strews covers and she's she's incredible she's won a lot of awards for her stuff and uh yeah so it's it's nice it's nice when you can actually find those people that you can connect with and, and work really well alongside yeah I've had a fantastic experience with them um Alex and I hit it off right away we um, she liked one of my pitches in PitMad, and at the time I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to go indie or not, and I had a couple different independent press likes, and I just kind of filed them away to research later. But by the time I had gotten to them, I was kind of beaten down by querying and ready to just move on. But we actually rediscovered one another in a writing group put on by Bianca Murray out of... Um, the shit no one tells you about podcast. And <laughs> I like the title. It's a good podcast. And so I ran into her there and I was talking about my book and she's like, you need to send me this book right now. And the rest is history. We've been really close friends and working with her has been hilarious and amazing. And um, she's very knowledgeable and highly recommend querying rising action. If you have a book on their manuscript wish list, cause they're great to work with. Yeah. And I will definitely keep that in mind because I walked away two years ago. I thought, you know, like I got to that point where I got tired of presses shutting down really quickly and I got really tired of that whole query process. And I had a, I didn't have the best experience with agents either. And I thought, okay, I, I, I'll walk away for a little bit and try and get myself back on track. But, you know, it's so mad that you talk about pitch mad because I actually got liked by Harper. Uh, by Harper Collins's Harlequin, um, and they call themselves Mills and Boone over here, and I was like, "That that's crazy!" Like, 
I always get liked on these sort of like pitch mad things, and then when it comes to the career, it's just like, yeah, splat. <laughs> and I'm like, so yeah, no, I will definitely be checking them out because I've got a quite a few books that I'm working with, and then I went and signed with a production company for a feature and uh, a TV series, and I actually did the scripts for that, which was mental because it's totally different way of writing. Definitely. But luckily, yeah, I'd learned how to do... Here's the thing that, that most, uh, most of my listeners are learning about me is I'm actually originally I trained as a wrestling writer, which is super weird because you're totally going into somebody else's character and somebody else's brain to write this story. But then you also have to convince them to do the story. So you're almost like a car salesman in a way. You're kind of like, you got to trust me. This is this will be awesome. And they kind of look at you like, mm, you sure, you know? And you have to be able to answer the question why. And uh, some of the guys I worked with, everything was asked. Like, why am I doing this? Why tonight? You kind of want to beat your head against a brick wall because you're like, just shut up, and do as I've told you, in a way. <laughs> but then you can't like turn around and say it because it's like this guy's like six foot five and he's like 300 odd pounds. And you're like, mm, if I say that, am I going to get flattened? <laughs> so I kind of had to learn um, deep point of view, particularly for that. And that's how I actually started writing is from deep point of view. In fact, a lot of the complaints I get for my writing is that it's too deep because the characters are all super layered and super complicated and they all have 3D edges, you know, like normal human beings do. Um, so I always find it funny when a publisher says, you know, hey, your characters are too detailed. Have you ever experienced that where and they say your characters might be too detailed or... Oh, geez. Complex. That sounds like a unique problem to you. I mean, that sounds like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That sounds amazing. I love to read your characters and you always see all the time in reviews, like these characters felt so real. They felt like yeah. my friend. I know everything about them. So it's hard for me to imagine having too much detail in that regard. Like for me, I'm always going back to add more detail when I learn yeah. more and adding layers as I go. So I think it's really intriguing and interesting that you have all this detail that you can work with and you're able to create these real people. I think that's a really fabulous talent. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, when I came to write mine, I had a lot of characters to work with, uh, <laughs> which was a bit off-putting when I started because I was working with a co-author at the time. And I have twin sisters who turn on each other. So it's not your average love story as, as you have uh, written as well. And it's not your average drama. It's very different. It's very off the wall. And you've got one sister who knows everything, but isn't sharing anything. And then you have the other one who's like, I want to know everything. That's why I published your diaries to the entire world, you know? <laughs> and the other sister's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> If I didn't have to save your ass first. So it's, it's that constant back and forth between them that makes it fun. But that's when the publisher was like, that premise is really good, but there's too much detail between these two characters because they had a really deep history. And then you've got a half-sister who's kind of thrown in between the two twins who doesn't really know what to do with herself. She's kind of like, I'm the half-sister. Why am I playing referee here? 
this this sucks, you know. But she's also the one that's kind of screwed everything up, but doesn't really want to admit she screwed the whole thing up. So I try and add all those kind of fun layers to mine, which is where I get a lot of the that complaints from. <laughs> I just think that sounds super interesting. Yeah, you know, you'd think like a mainstream publisher would be like, oh, we want something fun and interesting. And then I hand my stuff over to them and they're like, oh, this is this is way more than we thought we were getting. So, yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. So I always look for publishers that kind of love detail and love to kind of just get lost in the fullness of the story. And that's what it sounds like you've luckily achieved with yours. And so I, I will I'll recommend them, too. I will make sure to give them a couple of mentions in the uh, in the next few weeks and just give them a plug because I, I really believe in, in publishers like that and it's so nice to hear that so yeah. yeah I think a lot of it too is just being true to yourself and your style of writing and keep plugging away until you find that person who really resonates with that and believes in it so instead of yeah. changing your voice and your writing style to the point where you're not even enjoying the process anymore you just have to keep doing what you're doing and eventually you're going to find your person and maybe you'll have a healthy backlist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. One, yeah. two, punch. Cause I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years now and I feel like I feel old when I say that, <laughs> but yeah, I've been doing this 13 years and it's so crazy because when I say I, I have a 32 book series, I want to do publishers just kind of, their eyes get really big and they're like, how many have you written? And I'm like, Oh, I've got five out and I've got maybe two sitting there waiting to go. They kind of just, it's that instant, oh my God, kind of reaction that I think is so funny. But yeah, no, it's great to to have those connections. And I've been lucky. I have found some indie publishers that's like that. And, but unfortunately, with how tight the market is, sometimes they just go under and, and you have to sort of start again. And, and that's at least been my experience. But it makes you determined. It makes you not want to quit, so. I always, I always say that to, to writers, don't, you know, if you're, your publisher fails, don't take that as a sign that, you know, your stuff isn't good. It's just, it's just the way the market is right now. So diving into books. Now, I am a feeling that you're a big reader because I think most writers tend to be. So what's the book that stuck with you the most? Uh, my friend Barath Krishnan, he wrote this epic um, political I don't I don't know if it's a sci-fi but it's a political book and it takes place in this alternate universe and it's called uh, privilege and it proposes this idea of what if white privilege was a drug that can be taken and that's what gives people unfair advantages in society and it's a really interesting thought exercise of how this drug works and how it plays out and how you can gain access to it and how it changes your life and it follows. Um, it's a multi-book series and I'm super lucky. I'm friends with him, so he just sent me his latest installment and I can't wait to read it. I'm just so excited. Um, but it follows the first one, it follows the main character through trying to gain access to this drug. He thinks it's going to change his life and make his life better. And it shows how his world is turned upside down trying to get there. And yeah, it's just a really interesting thought experiment. And uh, it's always called Privilege. It's on Amazon. And yeah, I highly recommend. He actually worked in politics for many, many years 
So he has like a lot of insiders information on how politics work. So highly yeah, recommend. I find that I find that when there is politicians that do these kind of books, you think, holy crap, you know, how many of us wish we knew like half the stuff you do? So no, I definitely love that book. And I'll have to get the title off of you at the end. Uh, I think my, my partner would actually really love that because that's the kind of thing that he reads and then he'll like come back and say to me, you know, whoa, what was this? <laughs> so yeah, no, but could you, that's actually a really interesting thought process because I know that there's a lot of people that think just because we're born a certain way, we have automatic doors open up for us. I can safely say that that's not been the situation for me at least. Like as soon as they, like people realize I'm a disabled author, the door slams shut, you know, like, it's like, you know, if you've got other obstacles to overcome, white privilege is not tends to be the thing that happens for us. So like, I, that's another reason I do this podcast is to advocate for people with long-term health conditions and disabled authors to be able to get a chance to really express their journey and their experience and, you know, and also hold up new authors and authors that are really sort of making a noise because they might otherwise not get an opportunity. So I think it's good because I'm, I'm holding up, a, I've had a lot of bestsellers on, but I, I like having independent authors on because we tend to have a more, I don't want to say rounded opinion, but we tend to be more kind of easy for people to connect with because they don't think we're sitting in mansions writing, if you get my point. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely different types of privilege out there. So I mean, you can benefit from white privilege and um, as a disabled person, like I'm abled, so I have ableist privilege and whatnot. There's just certain obstacles I can't even fathom that Mm -hmm. you have to deal with every day. And that's what privilege is. It's about there's obstacles out there. Some you might be aware of, some you might not be aware of that give you um, an advantage because you don't have to deal with them. So I think that that's really important to understand that there's different types of privilege and it's not something that I have. You don't, it's just an obstacle that I don't have to have overcome that you do. Yeah. And it's really important that we be, you know, respectful and understanding to each other because you have to work harder to get to where I am because. Exactly. And I think now with the way that the media is, and the way the media is being driven, I think almost like everyone looks at a white female as being the perfect person in privileged society. Whereas I almost feel like I kind of sit back and I'm like, "Mm, I don't think you really understand what it's like on this side. Like, you know, you could have an invisible disability and people don't know it. But if you need that, like, disabled seat on a bus, the sort of looks you get because you take it is <laughs> is pretty bad. And that's kind of why I like to just say to everyone, you know, this world we need to be understanding of each other because we have no idea what that person's dealing with in their lives. And we have no idea what's going on at home. And we have no, you know, you can't see inside somebody's body. So how are you supposed to know these sort of things? And that's kind of what I try to remind people of, especially when, you know, we have these really deep conversations on, which is weird because it's, it's called the Book and Life podcast for a reason. But yeah, we have these really deep conversations. And I just kind of hope it makes some sort of impact with some people and it 
makes you know people more understanding and more relaxed with one another. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm hitting against a brick wall here, but you know. No, I think it's always more empathy and understanding for our fellow human beings. So I'm all yeah. for that. Yeah, I'm all for that too. If you had time to like just sit and read a series and also an author, who would you pick and why? Oh, wow. Uh, Ken Follett. I love him. I love his books. I love reading historical fiction because I love to learn accidentally. And yeah. I fell in love with his writing back when I was like 14 or 15. And after reading Pillars of the Earth, I sent him an email telling him I wanted to be a writer. And he wrote me back. And um, so I just love his writing and his books, but they're huge. And I just want to sit there and disappear and soak up every line. But I find at the place where I am right now, I'm doing a lot of skim reading. So I have these books sitting there on my TBR and I really want to sit and enjoy them, but it's just not the time for me. So I'm waiting until later. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I literally got hit with like two sets of edits while in the middle of like the writing a new contemporary novel. I was just like, oh, no, because it means I don't get to read. And then I'm also studying my BA honors course right now. So it's oh. like, it's like triple the ideas. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not busy enough. I'll just fire a podcast in as well. And I was like, yeah, Crystal, you lost your mind somewhere back around corner number three. Oh, no. So yeah, my, my husband goes, how scheduled are you today? <laughs> He's getting used to it though now. It's kind of funny. And it's funny you say that because I read, I actually started reading a lot of historical romance when I was young. And I started with Catherine Cookson. And she has a really brutal way of looking at history. But she writes it as she saw it. So she was not upper class or middle class. She was actually a servant in a house. So she actually started right there at the bottom. And it wasn't until she got married and she moved into that kind of life that she had that opportunity to write. But she was dyslexic. So she got really depressed writing. And I thought, that's such like that's a huge overcome struggle and it actually explains her books a lot when you read them because she writes exactly as she talks so she stands out as a as a voice from the past and she's almost being forgotten now because there is so much historical romance out there and there's so much historical fiction that she gets kind of lost in the bunch i would say um so yeah i always i i always go back to her like if i'm having a really bad time with my own writing and I need a reminder that here's a woman that you know suffered severe depression and dyslexia and you know all the, the the hassle of going through that and I read her book and it reminds me okay if she can do it I can freaking do it and I get on with it it's kind of like a kick up kick up the rear end <laughs> I call it my rear end motivator particularly if I've uh if I've been lagging I don't know about you, but do you find it hard to write that last chapter? Like that, that closing end of, of a story? I usually will write my last chapter shortly after writing my first one because ah. I like to have a lot of similarities between the first and the last chapter. I like That's to put really interesting. the character in the same spot doing the same thing, but feeling differently. Yeah. 
and so full circle kind of idea. Yeah. So it's kind of like the last paragraph of an essay where you sum up the things that have happened and how things have changed and you state restate your argument in very simple terms. And um, yeah, so I usually to try to have it come back full circle. So once I've written the first chapter and I get the first chapter where I like it, then I feel safe writing the end or at least drafting it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a plotter. I'm a reformed pantser. I'm a plotter now. Oh. <laughs> I like that. I'm a reformed pantser. Yeah. I, I can tell you I did that technique. Uh, I did it for like two years uh, with the Canadian publisher I told you about. I hated it because I, <laughs> I get so lost in like the whole idea of it. I would be like, wait, where was the story going again? So I, I am like a reformed, purely organized writer now. I break chapters down. I even break the ending down. Even though I like totally procrastinate over the end because I don't want to say goodbye to any of my characters. I want them to kind of like live on mortally, but I don't want to ever say goodbye. So it's kind of crazy to me because I also know that as soon as I, I hit the word the end for now or the end, that I totally forget the story. <laughs> it gets deleted out of my brain. Because <laughs> I, I usually I'm like, my brain starts thinking about the next one. Because writers, we're always moving forward. We're never, we never really stop for anything. And I, I have that horrible habit of my brain just deleting it. So I kind of like, when I edit it for the first time, I'm almost like the first reader that ever gets to see it. Because it's like rediscovering the entire thing new. My editor, my editor actually spoke to me one day and she was like, Crystal, do you remember this story at all? And I'm like, yes. She's like, really? And I'm like, eh, no, not really. And she's like, she's like, okay, well, let's get started then, shall we? So yeah, I, I have a terrible, terrible habit of procrastinating. <laughs> I think that happens benefit too though because you're supposed to go into your story with a fresh mind so you can see it from yep. the reader's perspective so I think that I mean like I can understand how it would be really frustrating but uh, it also has that added benefit of being able to see it with completely new fresh eyes yeah it, and it's it's an experience I think too because I'm like okay this is how the reader is going to see it this is how the reader is going to experience it for the first time and then I'll I'll see the details that I missed. Like, you know, there's always small details. Like, I'll forget the name of the dog. That seems to be my biggest thing. I'll, I'll, I'll write a dog in, and then I'll be like, wait, where did the dog go? Like, did I just, like, somehow lose a dog halfway through this novel? <laughs> Which has happened. I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say, I've lost animals in, do in books. And then I have to go back in and write them to the end, because... It's, it's not a huge thing that I have to worry about until I have to go back and edit. And then I'm like, ah, right, okay. Um, I actually was just, I just did an epic fantasy um, about 100,000 words or so. So not, oh, wow. not a small adventure. And uh, my editor, she started editing it and then she sent me an email. She's like, I'm really sorry, but I need to do two deadline extensions on this. And you know that sinking feeling? You're like, oh, no. Uh -oh. She's like, it's not that. It's so good. I keep getting lost in the story that I have to go back and make sure you've actually written it correctly. 
So I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing to hear or like a bad thing when it comes from an editor, but I'm going to go with good for now and just see how it goes. But yeah, I, I always laugh at that when I get, I get a message going, it's too good. I need an extension. I love that. That's awesome. That's exactly what you want to hear. Yeah, but then it's also kind of like, oh no, am I going to make my deadline now? Because <laughs> it kind of flies back on you. Um, so, if you had a chance to sit and speak with an author, and time is just like infinite, and it can be somebody that's like no longer with us, but it can also be somebody here and now, who would it be and why? And what would you discuss? Uh, well, the author's name is Margaret Owen. She's alive and well. She writes That's good. a fantasy. Um, the first book was called The Merciful Crow, and the second in the duology is The Faithless Hawk. Mm -hmm. And she wrote another one, and I haven't gotten it yet, and I'm so excited. But her writing is just so amazing, and she seems so intelligent and hilarious. And I just want to be her best friend. <laughs> She's so, so cool. I like that. I'm like, I want to sit and talk to her because she would be my best friend. Yeah. I like that so much. Because yeah. you get a lot of, like, I, I've asked that before and I had someone say, I just want them to come back so they can tell me what the end is supposed to be for that book. See, if it's like an author that's passed on and they did write the end. Then, you know, like that, that's, I always think that was a good one. Like, uh, I just want to know what the end of that book was. <laughs> no, I just want to hang out with her. She sounds so cool and her books are so inclusive. And I started writing with YA fantasy and then I read this book and I'm like, okay, I'm done writing YA fantasy. Yep. As long as yep. the person is writing YA fantasy, I'm good. She's doing a great job. <laughs> I'll just read her books because this is too awesome. I, I had that experience. I picked up L.J. Smith, who wrote the Vampire Diary series, right? Now, I had watched the series. I loved the series like everyone else usually does. But I read her books. They are nothing like the series. Totally 100% different. And I fell in love with the fact her characters were just so off the wall. And they were so, like, when you're reading Damon and Stefan, it's not like Damon and Stefan in the series. And I loved that. And I can't believe she got fired off her own series. So, like, that interested me because I was like, well, I got to read this series just to find out why she got fired. Like, <laughs> but then I discovered, like, the reason for it in, like, book two or three. And I was like, oh, okay. As, as a producer, I can see why you got fired. But as a, as a reader, I'm kind of digging your series a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I, I must admit, I really got into her stuff just because it was so different. And it isn't your average YA fantasy either. It's completely, there's so many universes and she touches on animals and creatures and mythology that it just isn't touched on. Like Ninetales and you know, Kinsey and what all this could do and what could all this mean. And she really explores that and she picks out some really amazing things. And I was lucky. I actually got to sit and talk to her once, um, not, even though it was online, but we were sitting talking on Facebook and I thought, wow, this woman's, this woman's incredible. 
And she said, she's like, just because you love my series, don't give up writing YA. She says, because your characters are so meaty. I want to read your series now. And I'm like, all right, okay, I'll keep going. What like, that, that couldn't be high, higher praise if I asked for it. So, yeah. And uh, luckily for her, Carla still exists for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would have probably given up. Is there an author, past or present, who has influenced, inspired, or excited you about reading, but also about writing? I'd probably say the series that got me most excited when I was younger and really got me interested in voraciously reading and wanting to write someday would be the Inheritance series by Christopher Paolini. All right, okay. Yeah, so remember that one with the dragon and whatnot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Probably read that first book like a million times. I'd take it up <laughs> into my tree and I'd read it up in my tree like a complete weirdo. And oh no, that's not weird. That's actually kind of awesome. I didn't have a tree house, so <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a tree house. It was just a tree. I'd sit on a branch and I'd read in my tree. Uh, yeah, I didn't have a lot of friends, but I had lots of books, so that's even better. Books are better than friends if you think oh. about it. They're you can take there. them anywhere. They don't have deadlines. They don't have bedtimes. And, you know, you can throw them at a wall and you can still <laughs> be friends with them afterwards. Like <laughs> You can't really throw your friends at walls. That's generally frowned upon. Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah. I, I remember um, I had a friend. She was a book reader, too. And we were sitting in the library reading. And I got so annoyed at this novel that I was reading. I actually threw it against the wall. <laughs> And she, it missed her like by a hair's breadth, but she didn't talk to me for like two days. So I always, I always considered like, you know, books can't fall out with you, but you know, people can. So I always, I always say no, books sometimes can be better than friends. So I'm with you on that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, dearie. She actually ended up throwing hers at the wall two days later. What time would you visit if you could go back in time and why? Oh, man, if I could go back in time, I don't know. I feel like the world has been a very scary place up until recently. So I'm the kind of weirdo. I don't fantasize about the past at all. I think everything was dirty and stinky and scary, especially for women and people of color. Um, on this continent and I think that the present day is the best it's ever been and we're only going to get better hopefully fingers crossed I'm with you on that one yeah I don't know if I would go back in time and visit anywhere I the the past scares me and maybe that's because I read too much Ken Follett but (laughs) (laughs) no I, I get that I get that actually yeah I mean for me I'm a big fan of the Victorian age, but I think that's because I always felt like I didn't fit in in this day and age. So, like, I always liked the idea of wearing those tight dresses and especially being in Shetland where we have that sort of ladylike, I would like to say ladylike style drilled into us as children. So I had to learn just to knit and cross stitch and be able to pour tea and make tea and know what you do if you've got guests in your house or if you're a guest at somebody else's house like my gran was so into all these manners and being ladylike i remember her taking me to um, a hotel for for lunch one day and she goes 
I'm going to teach you how to eat in a restaurant. And I went, how do you mean eat in a restaurant? Isn't it just like eating? And she's like, she just sighed and she went, oh, Crystal, 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 you so much to learn. <laughs> and I always felt like this kind of little bit like an idiot because <laughs> I was always learning these certain manners and stuff. Um, yeah. And, she, you know, I think because that was the way she was and the way that she was brought up. And it's weird because when you go back to Shetland, people's thoughts and opinions are 50 years behind. So it's weird because you're kind of like going back in time every time you go there because there is still this society in Shetland where, you know, swearing is frowned upon and, you know, you have to marry in your your society and don't you dare marry lower than yourself. Like, it's a way of thinking I thought would have been outdated by now. And I never realized that that was not the normal way of thinking until I moved to the mainland of Scotland. And then I was like, oh, because I met Ian's mom and I love her to death. She's my, I call her my mom. And she was just like, why are you being so polite? And why are you, what's with all these manners? <laughs> why are you so skinny? <laughs> and it totally just evaded everything that I had never learned. And I was like, Oh, so there is people that exist as like me who wants to swear like fishermen, that wants to go and get mucky and dirty and doesn't want to sit there looking pristine and have their hair done. And they, I like this new world. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of awesome for me. But yeah, like I, I like asking that question because some people are like, you know, it makes them think twice. Has there ever been a book that you wished you'd never picked up? Uh, no. I think even the books that I didn't like or that I disagreed with, I learned from. Yeah, so I would agree with that. Yeah. Even like the Twilight series that I read when I was 16 and I voraciously read it in one weekend, the whole thing. I was grounded, so I have that excuse. But So do I, <laughs> except for I was like 21. <laughs> yeah, it was so good and so bad and I loved it and I hated it. And even today, it's like, oh, I love it. And I hate that I love it. But that's one Did of those things where one? you learned so much about what makes a book viral. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you do. And learn, it was yeah. the same thing with Fifty Shades of Grey, which is basically just an adult version of Twilight. I'm glad you said that because nobody else has ever agreed with me on that. So I, I am adoring you just a little bit more for that. Did you buy the Edward book, though? Did you cave when it came out? I haven't out? yet, no. And the only reason is because it's so big. And it's the same problem with Ken Follett. It's like, I want to sit down and read it and not be interrupted. Because it sucks when I'm reading books. Um, like, I'm reading pretty much just adult romantic comedies. And there's a lot of naughty parts in there. And yep. I'll be sitting there, like, crossing my legs and biting my lip. And then my kid comes and climbs on my lap. I'm like, okay, we're done. Yep. It totally destroys the mood, doesn't it? I I, it. I must admit, I pick up a book and I, I don't read the back. When I get a book, I don't read the blur. Same. Hard same. And you know why? I feel like it destroys it. Totally. I'm so glad you said that. I'm the same way because I feel like I'm just reading to get to where the synopsis ends and it ruins yep. half the book for me. I want to yeah, be surprised. I felt, I, I, so I stopped that a long time ago and people go, 
but don't you want to know what you're picking up? No. Nope. If I like the author, I don't care. Like, I I did that with um, Rachel Kane's series, Bitter Falls. I think it was Bitter Falls or Bitter Leaves. And it's a thriller, okay? So I had, I thought she, she's always written fantasy YA. <laughs> I stupidly just went, okay, uh, it's a Rachel Kane, it'll be great. I got about three, four chapters in and I was like, what? the heck did I pick up like it totally took me but I loved it because of that because I wasn't going in with expectations and I did that with um, Kelly Armstrong's Omens I picked her up and I, I was reading her and I'm like wait is this a thriller or is this like a fantasy or like it was one of those books that rode the line the entire way and I kept saying to my hubby I don't know what genre this is like it drove me mad but it was good because it was like driving me mad good not like throwing it across the room mad and you know I I did actually I'll admit I caved I bought Edward and then I I got to read it in peace because I was in ICU during the summer last year and I read it because I, I had insomnia for three weeks uh. so <laughs> and I was like I need to read something and there was two books my hubby could have picked um, from that was in my, my locker and he picked up Edward's book which seemed like a really good idea when he gave it to me and then I tried to read it but I was like full of wires and jibs and I'm like trying not to pull anything off and it's like but it I was saddened by it I was I didn't hate it I just was saddened because I expected this to be more than what I got I wanted it to be Edward's life before Bella right oh, that's yeah. kind of what I went into thinking it would be and it it really isn't and I thought oh and a lot of the time I I felt like it didn't make sense and I know she took years to write it. And I, I was so gutted because I really, really wanted to be tweeting. I love this book. I love this book. And then I couldn't because it just, it felt like a bit of a letdown. Oh, that's but I bad. have learned from it. I've learned from it. And I think what I learned from it is sometimes you need to let series go at a certain point. And not try to keep them going because they're easy to write. And because the characters are so easy to write. Now, do if she did one about Jacob... I would probably be more interested because I don't really think we learned that much about Jacob, to be I honest. I love Jacob. I was team Jacob. But if you want yeah. Stephanie Meyer book, I'm not sure if you've read it, but The Host. I, so am, I am gearing up for that because I, I was sitting on the fence because I had some people say to me, eh, it's not that great. And then I had other people say to me, oh, it's fantastic. So I was kind of like sitting on the fence a little bit. Oh, here's was the like, edge. It was awesome. I still think about it. Good. I will definitely be reading that next then. Have you tried the Throne of Glass series? I haven't. You're, all my tabs are opening. I'm like, ah! Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> opening up all these tabs and all these books. Oh, yeah, I actually opened up this tab already. You were saying that uh, Sarah Mass. Mass, Mass yeah. She's, yeah. Looks that great. Series, I see the books around. Yeah, and I mean, it starts off YA, but it does not stay at YA sweet so it, yeah it totally threw me because i thought okay this is going to be a ya series and it was quite brutal for a ya series and then it got older and older as it's gone on but i will warn you the books get bigger and bigger 
and bigger and bigger as it goes on. Yeah, <laughs> to the point where I'm my TBR. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the last one, and the last one's sitting in my room, and it's on my TBR file, and I'm like, I really want to read you, but you're so big. Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I decided to take the jump this uh, this year, and I went into the Bitten series by Kaylee Armstrong. Well worth it. Nothing like the TV series. It is actually really awesome. And I thought, why did I watch the TV series when the books are better? <laughs> oh, so that's yeah, I, I recommend. The case, isn't it? Yeah. Like, that's becoming the case more and more. Like, there's um, a scandal of anatomies just come out. And I have the book sitting on my bookcase. And I'm like, should I read the book or should I watch the show? It's that way where I'm sitting on the fence. Because I know the series is going to be different to the book. But how different? Yeah, I feel so, like yeah. it's one of those things you have to read the book first, you know? And yeah, then I think I'm going to read the book first, I mean, yeah. yeah, and then be like, yeah, I, I did that with Outlander, however, I couldn't I couldn't watch Outlander, because I knew what was coming at the end. Yeah, so, and yeah. I can't watch Outlander because history freaks me out too much. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's brutal as is, but at least she gets it spot on. Like, she yeah. gets the history spot on, it's just, I wish she would kind of maybe pin down her accents a little bit more and her Scottish dialogue a little bit more because like sometimes it's Highland Scotland she's referencing and then all of a sudden she's using Lowland dialect and I'm like that drives me nuts as a as a Scottish person because yeah, I can I'm like, imagine. It's, it's two different things and I, I remember tweeting her once and saying your dialect's driving me mad and she's like, but I had to, like, I had all these people that are specialists in it that told me to do it this way. And I'm thinking, it's different everywhere you go. Yeah. Like, you could have a specialist who knows all the dialects. But back then, unless you know, like, you've lived in that area and you spent time in that area, it's really hard to nail it down. So I do give her a little bit of leeway with that. But yeah, like, those little things get me. Never, ever read The Gypsy by Leslie Pierce, because that will totally freak you out. Yeah, no thanks. I'm just gonna stick to Ken Follett. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a lot safer. So, I always uh, I always say darker elements for this question. However, I will explain it a little bit. When I go into sort of questions, conversations about darker elements, what I mean is the person that's stopping a love story from coming into play, or that is the obstacle that the couple has to overcome. Like, how you get your mind into that zone to write that, and how you come up with the idea of the roadblock that brings you to that point. Um, well, I, I plot now from being a pantser, so <laughs> I use Story Genius by Lisa Cron. Oh, and I interpose that over Romancing the Beat. And I can't think of the author name for that one, but it's a fantastic tool for anyone writing romance or romantic comedies. So um, in the exercises that you do in Story Genius, you go through all sorts of backstory, and you use that to get into the darker elements, the themes that you're going for, their dark night of the soul and how it all interplays so 
Um, for my first book, my debut novel, I pantsed that one and I just got lucky it all worked out. And for my second book, um, I plotted that one and it actually got me a literary agent. So I'm like, well, that worked. Sweet. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm doing it again for this current book and I'm really happy that I'm doing it with this current book because it is a challenge. This book has some really interesting dark themes that I'm writing and it's dealing with the patriarchy um, um they're trying to think of the word but it also <laughs> deals with misandry and how yeah. feminism is important but feminism is also important for men and we can't fall into this place of misandry where we we hate men and as exactly yeah. a mother of two little boys and raising two little feminists <laughs> and i like that <laughs> it's very important to me that um in becoming more of a feminist society we don't leave our men behind we they exactly, need feminism yeah. too and that's one of the the themes that i'm going for in this book and it's a hard balance and i also have um some some things going on in the book where her friend who is a black Canadian woman is trying to tell her that something she's doing is culturally inappropriate. And she reacts really poorly to that as you know, what happens often with, with white people when we're told we're not being sensitive to a certain subject, we get our hackles raised instead of listening. Yep. And I've been reading a lot of books uh, like by, Max Kendi and White Fragility. And so you want to talk about race. So I've been preparing for something like this, but it's very important yeah. when writing a romantic comedy that the storyline is still fun and upbeat and sexy and interesting without beating your reader over the head with these themes. So accidental learning, you know, you read something for fun you learn accidentally along the way. And that's kind of the balance I'm trying to achieve. And that's really admirable that you're doing that. And I, cause I've looked at the, you know, I here in Scotland, sometimes the feminism word is a bad kind of, they all have bad connotations to it because they think, Oh, it's women who just hate men and don't, don't want everything equal and we want better than everybody and we want better money and everything. And that's not the case. Like it is so not the case. And there is like, I grew up feministic. My mom was a feminist in an Island where feminism was kind of beaten out of you by your education system, by your elders, hell, even my peers, like all the girls I went to school with feminism was like, you didn't shave your legs and you know you smelt funny and you know they had totally no real concept of what feminism was but i was lucky i grew up with mary chaplin carpenter who i adore because she did a 1995 album and it really was about tackling feminism but in a positive way and she was really saying hey you know i i don't care if it's like you know, taboo, I'm going to talk about domestic violence and 
women that are suffering in silence and the crazy number of women that are dying because of, you know, this sort of thing. And so when I hear other, and that's the thing about my novel is both of my women in it are feminists, but totally different feminists. So it kind of like throws everyone because you've got this very fiery, you know, off the beaten track, I don't give a crap what you think, feminist, which is Marie. And her hot-headedness gets her into a lot of trouble. I'll openly admit that. And then you've got Layla, who's like the perfect-mannered feminism of passive-aggressive feminism. And I love that. And you do kind of learn from them in a very accidental way. But you also learn accidentally from the dad who has to go through this incredibly destructive adventure so i love the fact that somebody else out there is in a way trying to like accidentally educate people with feminism but not in a whole i okay this is a feministic novel and i'm shoving it down your throat kind of way and i got told i had to leave the feminism behind so this is kind of it's nice i i don't meet many other people that believe in that kind of stuff so yeah and i have been known to pass on my feministic knowledge to my younger generation quite periodically so and i think it's really important because men shouldn't fear it and it shouldn't be some it shouldn't have like a bad connotation to it so i i like that and i like the fact that you you know you're using these plot sort of exercises too because it's really good when you're starting out to be able to dive into those kind of areas and play with play with backstory and play with that I, I never personally found it helpful, but then I had gone into a world that, you know, backstory and 3Dness was so important from the get-go that I almost found it difficult to do the exercises because all that backstory was already there before I even, before I began, really. And when I was plotting, you know, I would just leave little notes to remind myself of where I would put in backstory and why I would put in certain things. And I am a flashbacker. I love my flashback scenes. Um, but I had to find new ways to do that. And diary entries are really fun to do, but very difficult because you have to kind of go from your voice to the character's voice only. Um, and if you read mine, there's like a friggin', ch you know, journal entry every chapter. So it was like, and I had to find a way to make it not perfect either. Because whose journal is perfect, can I just state? Like, none of us write perfect journals. So I had to try and, like, convince my editor. I'm like, I know it's not perfect, but I want it not to be perfect because I want it to be kind of normal. I want it to feel like it's a journal entry, not feel like, oh, this is the writer just using another excuse to put in some backstory. So I, I that's that's why I did it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really awesome. So what really would you say inspired you to add your voice to romance above all the other genres? Um, so I wrote a YA fantasy novel that I queried unsuccessfully. And a lot of my rejections, I didn't get a single full request, but a lot of my query rejections were saying that there wasn't enough voice in the opening pages. And I had to Google what that meant. And so it said... Um, an example of books with great voice would be romance novels and romantic comedies. So 
I picked up a couple from the library and I read them and I loved them. And I thought, yeah, this is really fun. It would be really fun to write. I'm going to give it a try. So I did. And that book's coming out in August. And yeah, I just love the crossover between comedy and romance. And I love making people laugh and also making them think a little bit. And turns out I have like a hidden talent for writing sex scenes, which is hilarious <laughs> and unexpected. So I'll just keep doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the same idea. Um, a publisher came to me and said, would I do a wrestling romance novel? And I said, okay. And they were like, but we want it steamy. Like, okay, this is going out of my wheelhouse, but sure, I'll give it a go. And I wrote a story with an erotic author who meets a wrestler at a rest, you know, they're wrestling up the street from an erotica romance convention. So <laughs> what, what better place, you know, to have this kind of steamy scenes and steamy questions and it's called summer of him and i love the fact that there's a half naked man on the cover that's awesome because it's it's so a unique saying like i don't i do not know of a another series set at erotica convention so i kind of just sort of ran with it and the wife wrote me back and she's like, I had to read your book with a very, very cold glass of water and then I had to go for a shower. <laughs> she's like, you've got skills here. And I'm like, I don't want to be known for that for the rest of my life. But a lot of the novels, you have to have that level of adultness for romance to work. And I understand that. Um, but I, I think there's a time and a place for it. And some of the romance novels where you read and it's like every five pages they're at it. That drives me a little crazy because I'm like, if you took all the sex scenes out, what do you have left? And that's what I say to a lot of authors when they start writing erotica. It's not about every steamy scene getting more and more and more and more steamy as you go. It's about having the story match and tie in. And if you took the erotica scene out, then it wouldn't make sense. You have to be able to tie it in in such a way that your story couldn't just flow without it. That's gotten me a lot of raised eyebrows in the past because, you know, the people like Sylvia Day is an incredible writer. She writes erotica really, really well. And she was the rival for Fifty Shades of Grey. And she's always been the rival for Fifty Shades of Grey. And I admire her for that. She she actually inducted me into the Romance Writers Association. So I was really honored. And I look at her and I think, you do a fantastic job, but you also believe in that sex has an important part to play. It shouldn't be the main focus. So I think if you can get that balance right, your novel will do so well. But there's, there is a lot of readers out there that are like, okay, this is way too much. I'm going to, I'm going to back off. And I, I think that's such an important balance. And I think from what you're saying, you'll have that really, really good balance. I think you've got you've got it really kind of tied down. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you do. Thank you. Is there a, when you put your book together? Is it like a movie, or are you very much a jigsaw puzzle that you're like, ah, I've got to put it together? It's like a movie. Um, I zone out completely, and I'm right there in the world. And it's really frustrating for my husband when he's trying to 
talk to me and I'm, he knows better now to leave <laughs> I know me alone those feelings. because I can't even hear him. So it is definitely like watching yep. a movie. And it's interesting because when something isn't working, I can't visualize the scene. So I know that I'm not doing something right if I'm not watching the movie and writing down what happens. That's a really good answer because I think a lot of people say, oh, it's just like a movie, but it's really in slow motion. And I'm just trying to capture it as best I can. So, you know, it's good. And there is there is a lot of writers out there that do jigsaw puzzles and they manage to make it really work. So which character has stayed with you, would you say, the longest? A character I've written or a character in someone else's book? Mm -hmm. No, no, character you've written. A character I've written that stayed with me the longest is probably the one from my shelved book that will never see the light of day. I based her <laughs> off of... You're just making me want to see I it know, more. I know, teasing this book. Um, yeah, she's based off of uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, and she was this gorgeous, enigmatic, beautiful soul, and she was such a badass, and uh, <laughs> I, I loved that. writing her. And kind of like immortalizing her as this hero in this story. And I really, I really miss her. And it was my way of keeping her with me forever. And uh, yeah, so she's probably stuck with me the longest. But out of my rom-com people, uh, there's a character in the book that I wrote that is with my agent and his name is Liam and he's the hero like the guy like the love interest and he's based off my husband all my love interest males are actually so good for him I bet that's a feather in his yeah <laughs> no he is such a fun character and he's so he has this quiet masculinity to him that I think is really sexy and endearing and there's a part in the book where it gets really steamy and sexy and I don't know. I wrote the whole book around that one scene. So I hope it gets to be a real book someday because it's, it would be great to see that come to fruition. Well, you'll have to tell me if it does, cause I'll be the first one in line to pick Aww, it up. That's for sure. It sounds, it sounds really awesome. Is there a character you wish you could write more about? Yeah. I mean, I guess that YA fantasy one, it was supposed to be a trilogy. So I have these other two books in mind and this long character arc. So I think maybe once I've written five or six rom-coms and I'm all booked up with publishing for that. And I have books coming out four years down the road and lots of time. I'll maybe try going back to it. Yeah. And it might be that when you go back to it, you read it you might be able to find that thing that you can do to just make it whole or make it round that you can send it to your agent and say, Hey, you know, I want to give this a go and see, you know, what the response is. And if you ever do get it finished, I would recommend speaking to Kristen Petit over at uh, Harper team. Cause she is incredible. And if it's not too complex with character arc, it's like mine was, and you know she would uh she definitely loves those kinds of books and she's really good i would recommend your agent speak to her because you know you never know sometimes if it comes from somebody that they know and they recognize they give it a shot rather than some people that just reject it based off the fact that they have no idea who you are 
So, you know, it's it's good to know that as well, because that's not something that's advertised when you come into the industry, is that you, you have to have a name and they have to believe that you can make the sales. And sometimes an agent can just explain how you can take that book and make it into something worthwhile. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, Having an I, agent is a privilege and um, it's not one that I take lightly. And it's very, very hard, difficult to attain. Yeah, it is. Especially a good yeah, one. A good one I'm very, nowadays. very lucky. It's, it's so hard to find. Yeah. Um, so we kind of covered this earlier, but what is a technique that you've tried and you thought, oh, no, why did I even try that? And what is the technique that you've tried and you fell in love with? Um, well, there's some craft books that I read that I think were a complete waste of my time. So um, I wouldn't go back and reread those ones. But at least, you know, not for you. That's okay. Um, but the most helpful yep. ones, I would say, again, I'm going to plug Story Genius and Romancing the Beat. Story Genius really went a long way yep. for me because I'm very much a plot person. And it sounds like you yes. are a very much an emotional writer. So I don't think Story Genius would yes. make a lot of sense for you to read because you're already doing everything in that book. And it depends yeah. on my writing yeah. friends when they read that book, whether or not it resonates with them, because most of my writer friends start from a place of emotion and backstory and character development. Whereas I start with, Oh, this would be a funny scene to write, you know? And then I have to go back into the why, the how, who would be this? Like I am, 30,000 words into my new work in progress. I don't even know what my main character looks like. I don't really know anything about her. And I think that's so backwards from how yeah. most people write. I think if I hadn't studied under Vince Russo, I would never in a million years have gotten to where I am now with the regards to characters and structure. And, you know, there's so much plot that I have that sometimes people say, can you not cut this book into three? Because I believe in not leaving a question unanswered. And I believe that you need to be able to answer why to everything. And that has purely been him. That was his sort of way of educating me. And it's so weird because he was the most um, non-welcoming to females in the writing wrestling world that he almost made me more driven to say, hey, you know, female voices should be heard in wrestling and it shouldn't be an all-boys club. Um, and he still has that voice and it kind of drives me mad because I know that's the situation in both of these wrestling companies. And it's it's weird for me because I look back on it and I, I kind of, in a way, hate my time with him. But in a way, I'm very grateful because I would not have the level of knowledge for character construction and character depth as I do now. And there has been some books where I've written it because I've been asked to write it. And then I, I read it back to myself later. And I think I really don't like this as much as I thought I would because my heart was just not in it. And I learned through walking away that I, I had to be doing this for myself, that my heart had to be in it. And I couldn't just be writing because somebody asked me to write something. Um, and that's become really important. And that's something that wrestling doesn't offer you because you literally are just said, right, here's one wrestler, here's another, 
make a story and wrestling is a gigantic love story it's a love story to the business it's a love story to the fans and it's a love story about the men that break their bodies to do that business and that to me was what drew me into it but it also was a kind of a life lesson to me in the regards of okay this is an extremely hard business to be in so yeah i that's it's a technique that i liked learning but i also kind of hated it at the same time so into our lives because this is an area where um readers and sort of our fans don't really get to explore very often so we're going to ask what's the first thing you do when you want to de-stress from editing and writing and life in general i like to be outside so um i'm lucky i live in british columbia and it i would say it's arguably the most beautiful place in the world and i'll fight you on that one it's gorgeous outside and i get to see mountains and giant trees and it smells so good outside and it's so beautiful and green and lush and so I just go outside and take some deep breaths and go on a walk with my boys and it's a great way to just reset yeah no it sounds perfect I mean I grew up with the ocean and it kind of feels alien to me not to look out my front window and not see water and I almost get like a longing because I stay now. I stay in the hills of Scotland, which is, you know, it's an amazingly beautiful place. I stay in Stirling area and I love it. I absolutely love it. But I still have this little bit of me that's like, I want to see the ocean. I need to see water to know that, you know, I'm whole and I'm a person. So I, I can understand that. Um, and I have my cats for, for de-stressing because <laughs> they don't let me get stressed out. They're really good for that. Um, they also drive me really, really As crazy. As all good cats do. So what hobbies... Yeah. I, I swear it's like their superpower. What hobbies do you enjoy? And what ones, like, do you wish you could explore if you had the time? Um, I am a yoga instructor. I'm a yoga and fitness instructor. And I teach several wow. classes a week. And I love it. It's so much fun. And um, so I get to do that often because I'm paid to do it, which is so lucky. I can't believe I get paid to do something that's such a huge passion for me and teach other people about it and help them. Um, so that's, I'm super, super lucky in that regard. Uh, something I wish I could explore more. I'd love to get into cross stitching yeah. so I could cross stitch really inappropriate things for my family and give it to them as gifts. <laughs> Just so you can see their reaction. Yeah, I really want this yeah. cross-stitch thing in my bathroom that says, please don't do cocaine in this bathroom. And I want to make it myself. Oh, that would be funny. I don't yeah. have the time to learn, so I'll probably just buy it on Etsy. It's it's so funny you say that because I thought the same thing when I learned it. I'm like, oh, God, this is going to take forever. But even though sewing does take time, it forces your brain to unravel your stuff with like writing. Particularly for me, it made me think, okay, I'm missing a chunk here, or it really helps me fulfill the areas of exploration because I was doing something that didn't end up requiring me to think about it. Because if you get it pre-printed, this is the trick. This is the trick. You get it stamped. So that way you're only following the colors that's already there. So there's a grid, and you just follow the grid. It's like a so easy numbers. if you do it that way. 
Yeah, it's like paint by numbers, but you're just stitching. Don't ever do the counted, because the counted one, you have to be super able to remember where you're at. And if you put it down, you forget. And you have to, you know, you have to start all over again. So I, I hate counted, but yeah, if it's pre-stamped, I'm, I'm golden. I'm good. I can, I can get, I can get through it. And I've made cushions and quilts and pillowcases for my family, um, because it's, it's a good way at night, especially if I'm trying to like switch off from writing, which is so difficult for me to do. I'll just stick on a funny show like Ballers, which is on Amazon Prime for me, and I'll. I'll watch it and I'll stitch and it's, I'll be laughing at some of the stupid things that Dwayne The Rock Johnson's doing to himself while, you know, mentally unstitching that kind of, that world that I've forced myself into that day. Um, and it's good. It's good to have somewhere you can go like that. And I was, funnily enough, the next question was, do you like crafts? And if not, what other ways do you clear your I'm life? not really a person who likes crafts because... Of the cleanup required. I don't really like cleaning, <laughs> um, but I do love gardening. Yep, and there I think that there is a creative process to gardening. And you get to be dirty, but the dirt stays outside. So I, I do enjoy digging in Sorry. the dirt and planting things and watching them grow. I'm not good at it, but I enjoy it. So I'm not, I'm not good at it either. I, I could keep an orchid alive for like six months and then it dies on me. So yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, I, I, have, I have never been good at gardening. It's funny because all my family are. I have a long-term illness is, is all the listeners and stuff know. And that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. And it makes me want to smell the roses. What's your thing that gets you to say, okay, I need to slow down. My kids force me to slow down and smell the roses. Literally our walks are, you know, I walk maybe half a kilometer to the mailbox and it takes us an hour to get there and back with these two <laughs> little boys because they're literally smelling every flower and it doesn't matter if it's a dandelion or if Aww. it's the daffodils in my neighbor's yard, they have to stop and smell every one. And it's, uh, good for me as a very goal-oriented person to not have a goal for a little while. Yeah, it's important. A very goal-oriented too, so I know I know how that feels. And it's so funny because when my disease was not at its worst, or you know, when I wasn't fighting it as I have been in the last three years, I was so lost because there was no goals that I had to set, like. I could literally go and do anything and I would be fine because my disease was under control. And now I have goals every single day that I have to achieve. Like I get up, get dressed, do your podcast, right? Make sure you answer your emails because I always forget that one. Answer the emails. You know, and it's, it's weird. Like I also have to set a timer to remind me to go eat my lunch. Because <laughs> as you said, when you're writing, you forget the entire world exists. I forget what time that lunch and dinner are supposed to be eaten. So uh, sometimes if my husband is out for the day, I have to set a timer to say, hey, go eat your lunch. Stop being silly. Um, so, yeah, I'm really goal-orientated too. So um, if, I, if, I, if I didn't have my disease, I probably wouldn't be. So, you know. so where's your favorite place to curl up during the day? Is it like your garden? 
cafe, Reader's Nook? Well, I don't really have a favorite place at this moment, um, but I'm building it. So when you walk into my house at the front door, it's like two stories tall right there. And you get, there's like a little seven by seven foot space of just two stories tall. And you get a view of the upstairs with like a little railing. So my husband and I are ridiculous yeah. and we took down the railing and we're building a pony wall and we're putting a net up there, like a, a net, like a loft net so that you can sit on it and look out our only south facing window. And I don't know anyone who is ridiculous enough to do something like this, but I'm glad I married the kind of person who both of us had this idea and we're like, yes, let's do it. So I'm building this really cool reading that I think that's super excited about it. Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing. Uh, My husband, he tries to like build me an area that I can go, particularly if I'm having a bad day and I'm grumpy and I just have a soft chair or a crafting area that I can go and I can chill out and the cats kind (laughs) of annoy me. However, we, we stay in a little, really tiny place, so we haven't actually been able to do that here. So when we move to our permanent home, which is in the process of happening, that's kind of what he does, is he likes to find an area just, just for me that I can go and, and I can just breathe and read the book and just, just be myself. Because right now it's the bathroom. I go into the bath and I'm gone uh-huh. for three, four hours. <laughs> so that's my place. I like to go there. Um, if nowhere else we're on to i i always say my favorite part but it's like the part that everybody hates usually if they're on my show it's called the word game so you can either tie this into books or you can tie this into word association either one is fine so which would you like to do probably word association because i'm looking at these words and i'm not thinking of any books that come to mind I actually had a theme when I uh, when I looked you up and I actually invited you on the show, and I thought I wonder if she will enjoy the idea of being in a British cream bakery shop where they make all these fresh, delicious sweets and desserts. So that was my theme for your. I would definitely for your love game. that. I'm like looking at this and I'm super hungry. <laughs> yeah, I have that habit in my books as I, I do write meals into my books as well. So the first word is chocolate. It makes me think of Easter because we just did a chocolate egg hunt with my boys and now they ask for it every day. <laughs> yeah, they don't quite understand Easter is like a yeah. one time a year thing. So yeah, I get that. What about that caramel? reminds me of like those little caramel squares that old people like to keep around. Mm-hmm. It gets stuck in your teeth. That's what that reminds yes, me of. Um, that's, that's why my gran used to hold on to them, because it kept me quiet. Butterfingers. Never had a Butterfinger. I think that's an American treat. So I'm going to go with America. Actually, it's British. Is it British? It's funnily enough British. Well, I've never yeah, had one, British. so I don't know. See if you Google recipes for it. Oh, it's well worth it. Custard Definitely going to say British. I think of British people, which makes me think of my father-in-law. And he would definitely eat everything in this list. He has a sweet tooth, a ridiculous sweet tooth. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, the first biscuit I ever got in 
Glasgow was a custard cream, and I didn't have the heart to tell his, my mother-in-law I hated them. <laughs> so yeah, you know I get it. Makes me cheesecake. think of my husband. His mum would make him a cheesecake on his birthday every year, and so now I make him a cheesecake on his birthday every year, and she gave me the recipe that she used for him when he was little, so ah. I can keep up that tradition for him. Oh, that's cool. The bane of cookies? my existence. I suck at making cookies. I'm good at baking <laughs> everything else, but cookies, I finally found one recipe that works and they don't spread, but it's a two-day recipe. You have to make the batter, and then you have to refrigerate Ooh. it, and then the next yeah. day, you have to spoon it out and bake it. So cookies, delicious, difficult to make. Yeah. Yeah, they're delicious, it, obviously, but man, they're hard to make. And of course, there's these are called cinnamon swirls in the Europe and the UK, but I don't know if they will be the same. Um, they're also known as Danishes if you're well, in the US. Well, swirls reminds me of uh, an ice cream shop in Medicine Hat where I grew up, and you always knew it was summer because swirls would open, and that was like the mark of summer. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I get that. We used to have ice cream fans that would come around with um, swirl ice cream, and that was you. Like, you knew summer was there because the ice cream van had come around. So, yeah, oh, I get that. What about cinnamon? Cinnamon is the name of a cat that I had growing up. He was a big orange cat. Oh, cool. And um, my little sister, when we got her the kitten, we gave it to her, and she's like, oh, look, a hamster. <laughs> we're like no it's a kitten well to be fair to be fair yeah no to be fair that's that that is actually quite a common uh reaction to kittens i actually had a student in my class that uh she got a kitten for christmas and she turned around to her mom and screamed oh my god it's a rat <laughs> and her mom was like no 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 don't kill it don't kill it don't kill it yeah, there's some weird weird stuff goes on in Shetland sometimes. Oh, man, coffee. I love coffee. We are coffee fanatics. I, I drink know, it black so I. and I buy it fresh roasted from a friend who buys the beans and roasts them in her house and so I get like fresh roasted beans and it's yeah, I'm a big coffee aficionado. I love it. Have you tried the flavor ones? Like you oh, get like sure. Christmas themed ones yeah. on Amazon sometimes. Yeah, I'm terrible for that. Like it'll know it's Christmas time because I'll have like the mulled mm -hmm. wine mix boxes come in and then there's like the apple cider ones and I'm like oh. and he's like, seriously, you cannot drink this much coffee if you're gonna have a kid with me. And I'm like, Well, I grew up on coffee and I'm not yeah. too I damaged. Know, yeah. <laughs> so I think I think I I'll be either really lucky in pregnancy and I'll be like coffee's okay or i will even smell it and i'll be like his mom and i'll be in the bathroom just Aww. that'll be like my trigger or something and i hope it's I not know, i love I'm coffee super i had to start toning my coffee intake down because it was uh making my anxiety worse so i just started mixing decaf with yeah. regular beans and it really helped me if you're looking on cutting back on your caffeine intake and so now I will definitely try that because I have NASCAV Instant. I used to have a coffee maker, but I what? blew three of them up because oh. they were like these really cheap, cheap ones that my hubby bought me. And they just, he didn't quite understand the cheap yeah. ones don't really last that long. 
because the seals go and stuff. So oh. one of them flooded our kitchen. Um, yeah, that was interesting walking through and the water was just like oh. everywhere. I was like, okay. And then the other one actually went bang. And I was like, black smoke's coming out the kitchen and I'm like, oops, oops. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> so yeah, my hobby says I'm the kiss of death. Maybe just get a French press so that it doesn't explode on you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like French press only. Hmm. So yeah, I do I do that. Well, it's been amazing having you on and we will definitely have you back when your next book goes into publication. Uh so definitely keep in touch with me. Thank you so I much. I look forward to it. And I will look forward to buying your book. Um, I'll get you to send me over the publishing name and I will plug them for a few weeks so that they get a little bit of uh, exposure. But yeah, it's been, it's been amazing having you on. And guys, next week we're going to have on the award-winning children's author from Britain. So be sure to check that out. And I will see you all next time.